Well, good morning again, and let's thank these guys for leading us in worship. That was amazing. I mentioned my family just a few moments ago. I wanted to give a little bit more of a proper introduction. Here they are on screen here. Uh, next to me is my 19-year-old son, Jack. He will be a sophomore at Cal Poly this fall. He's working all summer. Yeah, let's hear for Cal Poly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, he's working all summer because he wants to go back in the fall. Uh, there's Laura in the middle. Uh, we will be married 23 years this month. And... Then next to her is Luke. He will be a junior at a local high school. He's been at camp for the last two weeks. He plays on the volleyball team, so he's going to be playing volleyball for this next week on the beach, trying to sharpen his skills and make it back on the team. And then there is my, my little 13-year-old daughter, the apple of her father's eye. That's Annabella, and uh, she's just the sweetest little heart on the planet. And she's at camp, uh, high school camp, at the camp that I used to direct many years ago, just up the road from here. And so you'll see Lori here. The other, the kids are at that age where they're starting to kind of come up with their own routines and their own plans. And so, in fact, this year when we went on vacation, we just had to say, we're going to be in Tahoe in this, week, in this particular week. If you'd like to join us, that's where we'll be. It worked. So we got that going for us. Talking about how Jesus is making all things new in our life, and today I want to focus on an aspect of faith that doesn't get talked about very often, and yet when you look at the early church, you look at the apostles, especially post-Pentecost, you see that they are marked by an incredible level of courage. Courage. How essential is courage in our lives? Well, I don't know that anyone said it better than this character you're going to see on screen. This is something you've all seen. But again, this is just classic. Watch this. Amazing. Trust me. Have faith. Oh, we crashed the computer? Courage. Oh, no, there it is. Right what there. makes a king out of a slave? Courage. What makes the flag on the mast away? Courage. What makes the elephant charge his tusk in the misty mist or the dusky dusk? What makes the muskrat guard his musk? Courage. What makes the sphinx the seventh wonder? Courage. What makes the dawn come up like thunder? Courage. What makes the hot and tart so hot? What puts the ape in apricot? What have they got that I ain't got? Courage. You could say that again. <laughs> I love that. Classic scene. How's your courage today? Does it need to be renewed? Does it need to be established? Maybe for the very first time. That's what we're going to focus on today. And I want to make it clear, I'm not really talking about garden variety worries. Uh, we worry about all sorts of things, most of which will never actually materialize. And so, you know, if you have a headache this week, it's probably not a result of a brain aneurysm. Or if you get a little stitch in your side, it's because you're getting older, not because your vital organs are failing. 
And uh, if your pet, your dog, your cat, they, they greet you when you return, they, they, they sniff at you, it's not because they can smell cancer. They're just happy to see you. So again, in, in hundreds, perhaps thousands of way, ways we worry about things to varying degrees that will never happen. But this morning, I want to talk about actual fear. Fear. The kind of fear that with little or no warning... Your, your life gets turned upside down. The bottom just falls out from underneath you. The thing that, that you dreaded, the thing that you prayed would not happen actually does. Then what? I can remember the first time, 18 years ago, we invited Dave Dervecki to speak at our church. And since then, he's spoken at our church a couple of times and through various circumstances. I've been able to get to know him fairly well. But you can, as you can imagine, that first time he spoke about the catastrophic loss of his pitching arm. Imagine the one thing that you do, your livelihood, the thing that you trained for your entire life, that's what gets taken. And yet when Dave spoke about it, he spoke with, with warmth, with humor, with incredible empathy and compassion for the people who were listening, aware of their hurts, their disappointments, their fears. And afterwards, uh, Laura, myself, a couple others on her staff, we took him out to lunch along with his wife, Jan, and I was so, if I was impressed with what he had to say in the church services, I was all the more impressed when we got to know him just kind of up close and personal. And again, that, that genuineness that, that, that ability to encourage people, that desire to encourage people despite his own disappointments, it was so evident that, that afterwards, and in fact, maybe you've had this thought. You, you wonder sometimes the, the person you hear in church or you, you hear on a stage somewhere like Mount Hermon, you wonder, is that, that person the same person you know, off stage as they are on? It, sometimes we have those thoughts. In fact, at Twin Lakes, people will come up to me and they'll say, what's the deal with Adrian? No, that's not true. That's, I, I'm far more likely to disappoint you in person than Adrian. He is just a delightful person. But I found Dave to be just exceptional. And Laura and I started talking about, uh, we were driving home from that lunch. Would we be the same as Dave and Jan were we to face some sort of difficulty in our own life? Because at that point in our life, we'd been married for five years, and we were riding what you could call the blessing train. I mean, life was good. Life was sweet. We, we just, our marriage was delightful. Uh, Laura was well on in her pregnancy with our second child. And we thought, you know, we know that life isn't always just, you know, sweetness and rainbows, that at some point... You know, pain enters into everybody's life. Would we respond with the kind of confidence and courage that the Dravekis did in their own life? One month later, we're driving to the hospital because Laura has become convinced that something is seriously wrong with our child. And I, I've got one hand on the wheel, I've got my other hand on her stomach. And I can tell it does not feel like it felt the night before when I was chasing that little child around her stomach and it was kicking and moving uh, just three weeks to go in this pregnancy. We arrive at the hospital and 
uh, they put this kind of sophisticated ultrasound device on Laura, and the ultrasound tech is not supposed to tell us anything about what she's seeing on screen. That's for the doctor to do. But when I see the tears start to go down her cheek, I know that our fear about this child has been realized. Gentlemen, if you've ever had the privilege of being there when your wife delivers one of your children into the world, you know that's a, a moment of incredible pride and gratitude. I've had that privilege four times, but I was never, ever more proud than that moment when hours after that ultrasound, Laura was laboring to deliver our second child, fully formed, beautiful boy, still pink, just not breathing. And again, in that moment, our life turned on a dime. Many of you know what that's like. You've experienced it. And if you haven't, you will. You will. In sudden, unwelcome, unexpected ways. I mean, think about it. Every day in the headlines, we are reminded. Think about just this last week, Gilroy. El Paso, Dayton, Ohio. We are reminded, and if it's not out there, it's under our own roofs, under our own roofs, in our own circles. We are reminded how tenuous this thing we call normal life is. And if you're here today and, and you struggle with fear because you see what's going on around you or what's going on in the world, and, and it's, it's, it's exhausting, it wears you down, there just seems to be so much darkness or pain, or perhaps you're living in that reality right now, pain, grief, uncertainty, then today's passage is going to speak to you. We're going to be in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, if you want to look that up. It's also, there's some notes, I think, that were available as you walked in. But before I read it, I want to set this up. Because this story, this message, and the key to overcoming fear can be summed up in five words. Five words that I hope that you will remember for the rest of your life. Five words that are the key to facing whatever life throws at us with courage and confidence that God is still with us. And those five words are, are you ready for this? Jesus is in the boat. You're like, huh? Let me explain what I'm talking about. Let's go to Mark's gospel, chapter 4. We're starting at verse 35. It says this. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. 
Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now let's take a moment to ask God to open up our hearts to what we've just read. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today, and we pray that it would deeply penetrate our lives. We believe that it is alive and that it is active, able to reach the deepest parts of our being, and that is the place where the fear wants to live. And so, Lord, deliver us today. Fill us with faith and courage. And, Lord, we ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Well, when they pushed off from the beach at sunset that day, uh, the disciples were on a high. I mean, it felt so good to be part of Jesus' entourage with crowds were flocking to him more and more. And it, now it was time to, to take a little bit of a break. And so uh, even though they try to get away, there's a handful of boats, Mark says, that, that are following after them, chasing after them. But but on this boat with Jesus, there's Peter, James, John, all experienced fishermen, and they look back with a little bit of a grin going, there is no way those other boats are going to catch us. Night falls, and a million stars fill the sky. There's a soft breeze, sound of water lapping against the hull of the boat. It is just such a great night. The disciples, they weren't aware that they needed a break like this. It just felt so good to be there on this, this beautiful night. And then, with no warning, very suddenly, the wind shifts with incredible force. In fact, Mark uses a, a word in the Greek that, that is specific to when the wind blows violently and from different directions, like a whirlwind. In fact, literally, he, it's, he calls it a whirlwind mega wind in the original. A whirlwind mega wind. Mega like, you know, mega lottery or something like that. And Matthew, in his parallel account, he calls it a seismos. We get our word seismic from that. And, and so Matthew's describing the turbulence of the water. Mark is, is describing the wave. And both, in both cases, it's, it's either a, a, this mega wind or this mega seismos. Matthew, Matthew will use that same word for emphasis. And here's why. The Sea of Galilee is located in a long valley. And at the north end of that valley is Mount Hermon, the, place that the mountain this place is named after standing at 9,000 feet. At the bottom of that valley is the Dead Sea, the lowest place on earth, 1,400 feet below sea level. And so it creates this, this wind tunnel, and as the wind blows from north to south down this valley, the atmospheric pressure, as it tries to equalize, it can create uh, sometimes winds that will whip up waves that have been measured at 30 feet high. If you can imagine this, in fact, the city of Tiberias, which is on the western shore of the, of the Sea of Galilee, even in modern times, Tiberias has been severely damaged by tidal waves 
on an inland lake. So are you getting the picture here? The boat is being tossed around like a toy. I mean, waves are leaping over the railings and flooding the boat. The sky is black, and those experienced fishermen, their courage has drained out of them along with the rest of the disciples. In fact, one by one, a chill begins to grip them because Something in the, there's something in the boat that wasn't there before. It's dark. It's menacing. It's playing with their minds. It's conjuring up images of, of wives and children that are crying at their funerals. And while the men grow weaker, it grows stronger. Because it Fear, and fear is in the boat. Now, have you ever been plunged into circumstances that, that, that were so traumatic that, that you never expected? If you have, you know what this is like. In fact, it can happen with just the utterance of one word. Words like malignant chronic, inoperable, affair, accident, divorce, death. One word, and fear is in your boat. Well, at some point, after a fair amount of freaking out, the disciples they, they remember something that is really vitally important, and that's this. Oh, yeah, Jesus is in the boat, too. In fact, he's sleeping. If you can imagine that, completely unfazed by the mega wind and waves. Do you know anyone who can just sleep through anything? You know, so I, my oldest son, Jack, he's been this way his entire life. He can sleep through anything. In fact, one night we were awakened to this loud thud. In fact, it was so loud, it woke up uh, neighbors, dogs are barking, and I go into the boys' room from where it emerged, and, and Jack has rolled out of the, the top bunk. He's about nine, 10 years old, and just boom, right on the hardwood floor. And yet, there he is, he's still asleep. <laughs> Nobody else is, but there's Jack. And so, I, I go to pick him up to put him back in bed, and, and you know when people are just sound asleep, they're just out, they're just kind of floppy and dead weight and stuff, so I can't really, you know, lay him in there gently in the, the top of I have to kind of chuck him, you know, like a <laughs> bale of hay or something like that. And, and he never wakes up. Could be that he was actually knocked out cold. <laughs> that didn't occur to me in the moment, because I'm a terrible parent, apparently. But there's Jesus, snoozing away his head, resting on a soft pillow while this storm is raging and the boat is about to sink. I mean, that is the first miracle of the story, that Jesus just sleeps through all of this stuff. I mean, how he does this, I don't know, but the, the, I love this because the disciples, they don't even bother to try to wake him up you know, gently or politely or anything. Verse 38 begins, he says, the disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're about to drown? 
Don't you care? We are dying here, Jesus, dying. Not a great time for a nap. Now, true confession time. How about you? Has there been a time in your life that maybe you wouldn't go so far to say that Jesus was sleeping on the job, but you cried out to him. You needed to have sense that he was there, and he didn't exactly rush to your side in, in, in the way that you might have wanted. Where are you? Don't you care? I mean, the storm hits. And, and first thing we want to know is, is you're with me, Jesus. And you know what? You're not alone, because that's exactly what the disciples are doing right here in this boat. And not only that, this is not uncommon in Scripture. We're going to see later in this week, this week in John 11, one of Jesus' best friends is dying. His sisters, Mary and Martha, send for him, saying, teacher, the one you love needs you. And what does Jesus do? You, many of you know the story. He intentionally delays, does not arrive until Lazarus has been dead for four days. And so it's no wonder that Mary and Martha, as soon as he arrives, they get right in his face and they say, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And so if you find yourself with those kinds of questions, you're not alone. I mean, eventually, even Jesus himself would cry out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. But there's more than just, you know, empathy from Jesus here. There's power. Because it, I want to remind you, Jesus is in the boat. And with the storm raging and the disciples screaming, Jesus, he just got, ugh. Peace, be still, and poof. Suddenly, a great calm descends on the lake. In fact, Mark calls it a mega calm. And turning to the disciples, Jesus says at verse 40, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, I don't know how much of this they, they actually hear because they have gone from fearing the storm to fearing Jesus. <laughs> They're afraid of him. Verse 41, the disciples were absolutely terrified, and you won't be surprised to discover that Mark describes that as a mega terror in fact, they, they, it says literally they feared with mega fear in the original. So Mark's outline is basically we start with a mega storm, we go to a mega calm, and then there is mega fear. Who is this man? Even the wind and waves obey him. And that, my friends, right there, that question, that is the million, billion, trillion dollar question right there. Who is this man? Because if Jesus could really command the wind and the waves, 
If Jesus could heal anyone he decided to heal, if Jesus could rise from the grave himself, then he is without equal. He is the most important person we could ever want to know and discover. And so answering that question is the most important question in all of life. Do you know who he is? Do you know who he is personally? And if you do, if you would say, absolutely, Mark, he is my Savior, he is my Lord, he is my God, if you can say that today, then you owe it to yourself to follow up with this next question, which is, how then will I live? How will I live my life in response to who Jesus is? And really, there's only two ways to answer that question in light of today's subject. And it's this. First of all, will I live in fear of what might get me? If you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. Will I live in fear of what might get, get me? You know, when the other shoe might drop or what, what might happen to me just around the bend. And brothers and sisters, we are living in an age of intense fear. There is so much darkness and violence. And I see people retreating. Into, into their homes, into their little safe circles. I, I see parents, no disrespect, but at times I see parents hovering over their children in incredible ways because they are afraid to allow them just to grow up. And it's driven by fear. And I'm not talking about, you know, an anxiety disorder or some kind of mental illness. There's, there's some of us that may struggle in that way, but if you do, and I know this from people in my own life, my own family, that even if that's true, you suffer from chronic anxiety, you still have to choose to manage it. You, the, the worst thing you can do is just roll over and just let it have its way with you. But for most of us, the majority of us, the simple question is, will I live in fear of what might get me or other option? in awe of the one who's got me. Well, it comes down to those two options. Now, we tend to, to view fear as, as a negative emotion. You know, we should never be afraid of anything. I don't think that's, that's true. Uh, for instance, if, if you happen this week to be uh, swimming out in our local waters and you see something like this grinning back at you, you should be afraid, very afraid. In fact, the very place where we do our beach baptisms every year, it's by a place called the Seacliff State Beach. There's an old cement boat there. Some of you are aware of this. Uh, this year, they've seen 14, 15 great sharks congregating in that area. They've been coming back for about the last four or five years. The only thing is they get bigger every time they return. So, you know, they were just little youngins five years ago. They were kind of cute, eight, 10 feet. Now they're, you know, 15 feet long. And so... Um, it has kind of unintentionally uh, really tested the sincerity of people that we baptize. You know, are you? <laughs> you really want to follow Jesus, huh? <laughs> Got to get past him first. <laughs> or maybe, maybe you go on Groupon and you find these it's insanely cheap you know, tickets to a, an African safari. But uh, you, know, you find yourself in something like this. You, you need to be afraid because 
I could be mistaken, but they use those same like metal panels like that. I see those at Home Depot every year. They use them to fence in Christmas trees. So <laughs> that is not going to end well. Or maybe, maybe you're just driving along. You look up at this billboard and you think to yourself, well, well that might be a fun thing to go to. <laughs> well, what could possibly go wrong? Now, hey, I'm not judging either, okay? I'm just saying maybe just pick one, okay? <laughs> Might be a wise thing to do. But you know what the healthiest fear of all is? It's what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. And that is what the disciples are beginning to develop. They've gone from fearing the storm to fearing Jesus. And it's not being afraid that, that God is going to get me. It's being in awe. You know, it's like they're not going, oh, if he calmed the storm, now he's going to shoot us with lightning bolts out of his eyes. No, it's, it's a sense of awe of who he is, his greatness. And it fills us with a sense of just reverence and, and awe. We're overwhelmed being, being aware that the God of infinite power calls us his friends. He calls us to himself. And even though we deserve his judgment, he offers us grace and a place in his family. Psalm 147, the psalmist says, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their trust, or put their hope in his unfailing love. Even the wind and the waves obey him, and yet he says, I want you, I want you to be my friend, my brother, my sister. And as we get it, a sense of who Jesus is and, and his love for us and, and his care for us over time. Your fear of what might get you, it begins to diminish because yet yeah, things will come into my life, but Jesus will always be there and you will grow in awe of the one who has got you always, ever, who promises never to leave, never to forsake us. And you might be thinking to yourself, you know what, Mark? Yeah, you know, that's all well and good, but I've got scars, I've got hurts. That, that kind of faith does not come easy for me. Well, you know what? It, it, it didn't, didn't come easy for the disciples either. And remember this. I, I say this to myself as much as I say it to you. Is first of all, that ultimately, ultimately, it is not the strength of my faith, but it is the strength of my Savior. Now, let me clarify that. Is it good to have strong faith? Absolutely. Jesus calls us to faith. He cultivates our faith. But more important than the quality of your faith is the object of your faith. You know what I'm saying? In other words, it's better to have a little bit of faith in Jesus than a ton of faith in anything or anyone else. Jesus said, even if you have a mustard seed of faith, I will work with that. And so it is the object of our, our faith. And, and after calming the storm, Jesus doesn't turn to his disciples and say, you know, on behalf of your great faith, I am happy to grant on your behalf this, my latest of miracles. No, he doesn't say that. In fact, they didn't even have little faith. They didn't even have a mustard seed of faith. They had no faith. Zip. Nada. How is it that you still have what? No faith. So what made the difference? Jesus was in the boat 
That's what made the difference. And again, this was a long time coming. They saw miracle after miracle after miracle, and yet their doubts were with them all along. In fact, they didn't trust until after he rose from the dead, and really not even until after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them. That's when they became men of incredible courage. So this is a process. And they became people like, well, like the Apostle Paul, who would say, if God is for us, who can be against us? God, what can be against me if God is for me? Which means this, the second thing. It's not the power of the storm, but the power of our God. That's, that's what we look at. Let me ask you, do you believe this today? Because right now, you've, you're probably thinking of a situation in your life, and if you're not, I'm going to invite you to do it. That's your storm right now. There's a relationship. There's a situation with a child. There's a health concern. You know, there's always things that come up in our life, when we, even when we least expect them. I was a minute out the door yesterday, and unbeknownst to me, my wife was on the phone with her mom. My father-in-law was having a stroke yesterday. Now, it turns out, I don't know if you could say this, minor and stroke at the same time, but it was like a little TIA, and, and it looks like he's going to be fine. But I mean, I'm coming out of the program meeting. I'm looking at my phone. Oh, my goodness. And that's the way life works, but it's not the power of the storm. It is the power of our God. That's why Paul would say in Romans 8, and by the way, Paul was in four mega storms, shipwrecked, beaten, persecuted. And Paul went through more stuff than any of us ever will. Praise the Lord for that. And yet he writes this in Romans 8, starting at verse 28. And we know that in all... Th- wait, 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 wait. Time out, Paul. And we think, right? No, we know. We hope. Come on, on, Paul, let's nuance this. We hope that God works for the good. No, Paul insists. And we know that God works for the good in all, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, your story is not over. God is still working for the good in that storm, in that situation. Not even my son Joseph's story is over. We've seen God bring amazing things out of that experience, out of that loss. Now, would I rather have my son Joseph? Yes. But the story's not over for us, for him, for you for that situation. It won't be over until you see Jesus face to face and those words recorded in Scripture in Revelation 21.5 are fulfilled in their completeness. He has made all things new. And in that moment, think about this, in that moment, if you knew now what you'll know then, Would you agree you'd probably be a little bit more relaxed in life? You might have a little bit more courage that the things that tripped you up or or filled you with fear, in that moment, maybe you'll look back and go, that was nothing. (laughs) Not to minimize your pain, but there will be a completely different perspective. And that's why Paul continues in Romans 8. He says, for I am convinced 
that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, neither Republicans in the Senate nor Democrats in the House. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, it doesn't really say that, just for the record, but it may as well, because he says, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe this? I mean, even just a little. Maybe like me, you find yourself identifying with the guy who who said to Jesus one day, Lord, I believe. Now help me with my unbelief. That's okay. That's a great thing to say. That was a commendable thing to say. A commendable thing to say. And today, you know, if you find yourself in smooth sailing, praise God. Enjoy it. Pray, just, that's, enjoy the blessings that God brings into your life. But listen, don't put your faith in your circumstances. Enjoy it. Just don't put your faith there because you will be surely disappointed. Jesus has promised that in this life, we will have trouble. But take heart. Take courage, he says. I have overcome the world. In other words, listen, people say, well, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. I don't believe that. The Bible doesn't say that, actually. Life may give you more than you can handle, but what is true is that life will never give you more than God can handle. That's a biblical perspective. And God in Christ is in your boat. And so when the storms come, and they will come, if you're not in one right now, you will be in some point in life. How you think, how you pray, how you worship, the decisions, the actions, whatever you think or do, remember in that moment, Jesus is what? He is in your boat. And by the way, Just as a footnote, it's not just some random detail that those other boats were chasing after the boat that Jesus was in. Imagine their experience on that day, that night. They experienced the same winds, the same waves, the same terror, but they didn't have the benefit of Jesus in their boat. And so when your friends, your coworkers, the people in your world, they're they're going through storms of their own. They're going through their own set of fears. But they don't know Jesus. You got to believe they're looking into your boat where Jesus actually is, and they're wondering, what is that like? And just maybe one of the things that God will bring out of that difficult time, that storm in your life, there will be some who will go, I want that Jesus in my boat because I see the courage and the faith that he has filled into your heart, into your life, into your response. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather together. We thank you for your love. And Lord, I pray, to borrow from Mark, that you would fill us all with a sense 
of mega peace right now. That, Lord, uh, you would enter into the situations that exist in our lives right now. And in this room, in the back, we all came here with a story. We all came here with concerns, with burdens. Some of them were able to kind of leave at home. Some of them, they're with us right now. And whatever that is, Lord, I pray through the the presence and the power of your spirit and through the, the, the power and the penetrating effect of your word that it would enter into those situations in our lives that we would welcome you into those, those places. And that we would hear the words of our Lord Jesus saying, peace, be still, and know that I am God. Lord, wherever we're at, we pray that you would minister to us today. Give us confidence, give us courage. Pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our strong Lord and Savior, our place of refuge always. All God's people said, amen.